Hey Emily, how's it going? Are you still busy as all like crazy like last time we we had you on? Yes, um, Gwyneth Paltrow is in trial. You might have heard a thing or two about oh it. So goodness. that has taken off quite a bit. What's Gwen done? Well, I don't know yet, but she's accused of running into someone on a ski slope in 2016. He sued her for running into him on the ski slope. She sued him saying he ran into her. It's kind of like sorting out a car crash. Who actually hit who and what damages were caused? So the plaintiff, Sanderson, is alleging four broken ribs and some severe brain injuries. So we will see what happens. But that started trial yesterday. Well, that reminds me because I've got a series going up right now of a guy called Terry Mugan who had a road traffic accident with Tom Hanks's son. And this was very high profile. And Hanks' yes. son was... Um, allegedly under the influence of certain things so yeah yeah these these types of accidents we don't normally hear about they go to trial all the time they resolve all the time short of going to trial but when you have a a-list celebrity like Gwyneth Paltrow that people have very very impassioned feelings about one way or the other it captures quite a lot of media attention did she run into someone on the ski slopes and then ski away or did somebody run into her and it's it really should not have this much attention. It's not a big trial. It's a pretty everyday type of thing. But when you have a celebrity like Gwyneth involved, it's going to be a big deal. Are celebrities at risk of people running into them intentionally just to get claims and publicity? I don't know. I, I think there's some aspect of that, especially when it comes to being taunted by like the paparazzi and things like that to see if they're going to get a rise out of people. I think there's got to be some concern about that. I don't know about skiing. If you even know it's who it is or if it's a celebrity when people are in masks and goggles and then large helmets, if you even really know who's on the slope. But I wonder if days like that, there's a rumbling going around, oh, so-and-so's here today. And then you see them with a cadre of ski instructors and stuff around them. And you can kind of figure out, oh, that must be the celebrity. You, I have more experience with Disneyland. And there are days when you're there that you will hear a celebrities in the park and then a ride gets shut down and you're like, oh, okay, this is where they're going. And you can kind of, you hear the rumblings. I imagine it's the same way with skiing. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I know you're not an immigration expert, but um, there was a news story pertaining to Prince Harry today about now that he's declared his substance abuse history, his visa is at risk or possibly when it comes up for renewal because he didn't declare it the first time round, he's at risk of possibly not getting his visa renewed. Deportation, maybe. Well, wouldn't that be interesting if they deported him back to exactly where he doesn't want to be? I don't, I truly don't know much about the immigration laws. What is his substance abuse history? Is it what I don't, I have not paid a ton of attention other than the so, defamation suit. I've got to word phrase this carefully because of the YouTube algorithm. But he declared in his book Spur that he had partook in the green in the white. Does California and... care about either of those things? Perhaps, perhaps the white and the magic M word. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much that impacts. And of course, people don't want to see celebrities getting the celebrity treatment. I was involved in a few celebrity cases in my time as a prosecutor. I think there are times 
when people try to send a message through celebrity. It's like, look, if the media is going to cover this, we're going to let you know this behavior is not acceptable. And you can see celebrities like, you know, a Paris Hilton spending more time in custody for a DUI than somebody else might because they are celebrities. But that door swings both ways, as we're going to see with local celebrities, as we talk about Murdoch, sometimes the local power can absolutely get you treated much differently and much better than the average person would be. So it it is a door that swings both ways. All right, we've got 25 minutes left. I've not watched this show yet. Ash is insisting I watch it as soon as possible. So can you just give us the basics about Murdoch first? <sighs> the basics all right alec murdoch was a very prominent south carolina plaintiff's attorney he dealt with people who had been injured car collisions manufacturing errors people who had lost lives that type of of attorney like a tom girardi his family was also deep southern legacy almost a hundred years they were the solicitor in the area which means they were the chief prosecutor of that area so they have a very strong family lineage so it's almost like succession meets ozark then there is all of these unusual circumstances in his family with people that passed away then we get to him stealing from clients that starts to break then a substance abuse problem with prescription starts to break then he is arrested all these charges there's over 99 indictments at this point all of these charges start to kind of flood in the financial crimes white collar area and then he is charged with the murder of his wife and son who had been killed a year prior and that had gone unsolved then he goes to trial he does not waive time in the u.s you have a statutory amount of time to get your speedy trial rights, which is guaranteed by our constitution. Each jurisdiction decides what speedy means. He didn't waive time for trial. So this got charged in July, went to trial in January, 2023. And after the three week trial turned to a six week trial, he was convicted of the first degree murder of his wife and son. So it is family privilege, power, legacy, and a very difficult trial. I still think it's a difficult trial. There are still mixed feelings about whether or not the prosecution proved it, but the jury decided that the evidence they had was enough. Oh, and he testified. <laughs> wow. Okay. There's a lot to talk here. Let, let's start with then. How did things start to unwind for Alex? I think the first thread that was being pulled was some reporting locally about a very suspicious settlement agreement i imagine there were underground rumblings for a while but they hadn't made it to the way of the they hadn't made it quite to the public and that's because this family is deeply ingrained and i think people were afraid of them and afraid to speak out against them afraid of the repercussions that might come and what that story was about is they had had a housekeeper who was more than just a housekeeper, had kind of been a home manager who had helped raise the children like a nanny and had worked with the family for 20 plus years. There was a fall on the property that resulted in the death of Gloria Satterfield, the housekeeper. After Gloria Satterfield's death, Alec Murdoch went to her two surviving sons and said, hey, I'll help you. I'll sue myself. Well, then he kind of moved the sons out of the way, got other attorneys involved and finagled a settlement with his insurance company and stole the money from the surviving sons. Reporting came out that there had been a settlement, but the Satterfield sons never got it. And they started asking questions about it 
Then there was a boat crash that his son, Paul, who was then murdered, was involved in. The boat crash brought a ton of attention to this family. It seems that the underage children under the age of 21 in the States were drinking and driving this boat. Paul crashes the boat. A girl that is in the boat, his friend's girlfriend passes away, and he is then criminally charged with boating under the influence causing injury. During the boat crash investigation, Alec Murdoch showed up at the hospital with his solicitor badge because he was a volunteer solicitor, even though he was making all his money as a plaintiff lawyer, and started talking to the other members in the boat crash and talking about what they might have seen and what they didn't see. And it seemed to be influencing or trying to influence the memories of who was actually driving the boat. It seemed to me that he was trying to pin it on another kid that was in the boat, not his son. So between the mysterious death of Gloria Satterfield and the theft, and then the boat crash, the boat crash brought a lot of people looking at his finances. It seemed that he had been stealing from clients for quite a while, stealing from the law firm. Money was missing all over the place. And once that all came collapsing down, it it was, I was watching the story in September, or like quickly explain. I was watching the story in September, 2021, when he had a roadside incident where he was shot in the head and survived. In quick succession, he was arrested for staging that as a for hire event. And then all of this started to balloon out from it. So we knew the boat crash existed with the sun and then all, the the roadside incident kind of blew the rest of it wide open onto the public stage because you have a prominent attorney who's now hired someone to take him out to get the life insurance for his last surviving son. And it's absolutely wild. This is such a soap opera that I could talk to you for hours about all of the ins and outs of the Murdoch's. It's there's three or four docu-series, one on Netflix, one on HBO. There's more being made. The trial was all streamed on YouTube. So the entire trial is on my channel on YouTube, but it is, I have a summary episode on my podcast, the Emily show of all of the timing oddities what has happened now is there is a mysterious death from a number of years back. His family's name came up, um, connected to the death of Stephen Smith, who was a young man that was the older son, the surviving son's age. There have been rumors that they had had a relationship. Those rumors at this point seem unfounded, but there were rumors that that had happened. He mysteriously dies. Law enforcement seems to rule it um, a hit and run car accident. It seems more like a homicide to me. Yesterday, it was declared to be a homicide. So the investigation into this mysterious death of Stephen Smith has now cracked wide open, and they're actually looking at it again. His body's going to be exhumed, and they are going to reinvestigate this death and see if it was covered up. Wow. What wow. Were the circumstances? <laughs> what were the circumstances of his wife's death? His wife and son were both shot uh, brutally and violently at their home property. So how did... Were there any original suspects or arrests made in that? No arrests. Um, it seems that the only suspect ever was Alec Murdoch. He arrived back at the home and called 911. As evidence came out, it seemed that he was where the bodies were for a little under 17 seconds from the time he perceived the bodies to the time he called 911 and lied quite a bit about what he had done in that period of time. The thing that cracked the case open was getting the son's cell phone. It took quite a while for the FBI to get into the cell phone. Once they got into the son's cell phone, they found a video that the son was taking for a friend. The friend had a dog that was staying at their kennels. This is a 1,700-acre 
hunting property. So they had kennels of working dogs for hunting. The son's friend's dog was there and had something up with the tail. And they were taking a video of the dog's tail. The son was shortly before his murder. And you hear Alec Murdoch's voice on the video talking about another dog. He said he was not there during this period of time. He was down in the house asleep. So that video coming out of the phone is what took this case to the grand jury. That happened in April. Grand jury indicts in July. So that piece of evidence. But it took them, what, nine months to get into the cell phone from the time it was collected at the murder scene. So what about Alex's cell phone itself? Did that put him at the location of the murder? You see, Sean, his phone was off during the hour of the murders, just during that period of time, just during that period of time. Lots of testimony that he was an avid cell phone user, that he would get up and walk out of depositions at work to be on his cell phone. And right after the murders happen, all of a sudden his phone wakes up and he's on it quite a lot. So there's this gap. Just like the cameras at a certain jail in New York were turned off. Just this mysterious (laughs) gap in time, right? So what was the motive then? Well, (laughs) the, the prosecution went with more of a family annihilator theory that all of the embarrassing things were coming collapsing down. The family didn't know about the theft. They didn't know about the addiction. His law firm that his family started 112 years prior had been completely disbanded because of his theft. He had been he was he had gotten disbarred afterwards, but all of the information was coming out. The morning of the murders, he was confronted at work about a missing $792,000. So that confrontation at work about theft from a client was coming to a head, and the prosecution said that was coming to a head in addition with his his pill addiction. Um, The thing they didn't argue that I was surprised about is his son had been trying to get him off of pills and had been taking them. In his testimony and in other interviews, he said when he was going through withdrawals, he would do anything. I wonder personally if the son had taken his pills that day and he had gone to confront his son about it because he had started going into withdrawals the day before based on the testimony. So I'm not quite sure I agree with the mounting money issues being it, or if it was a pill thing, if it was an embarrassment thing, they went with kind of a family annihilator motive. And what was his defense? His defense was that he loved his family. He would never hurt them. He was at the home asleep when this happened and it wasn't him. So is he saying that he was asleep um, after the conversation that was recorded or before He said he was asleep during that entire period of time. He didn't know there was a conversation recorded. So he didn't find that out. He had given three interviews to law enforcement before they found out that that recording existed. Do you think he pulled the trigger himself? I don't know. And I still don't know. I don't know if he had helped. The timing is very close from the time he would have committed the murders or participated in them to the time he left and went to his mother's house, which he did later that night to have no blood on him, to get rid of evidence. It's it, it's possible. It's just an odd thing. I, I truly still don't know. The jury thinks that he did and thinks that he's more than capable of it. He was an avid hunter, so he has access to these weapons. It's not someone that's unfamiliar with guns. And it seems that he set up a nice day with the family before luring them all up to the kennels and, and taking both of them out. I don't think he just snapped that's for sure. I think this was planned out. He said something really odd. 
in talking to his sister-in-law, his wife's sister, he said that whoever did this must have been thinking about it for a very long time. And then during his testimony, he said that whoever did this to his son had hatred for his son regarding the boat accident. If you don't know who killed your family, how do you know so clearly what their killer was thinking? It was two instances where he was talking about the killer in almost this odd third person way. And that was some of the evidence I found the most um, the most interesting, truly. Um, and then the lying about the time that he was at the kennels. He just didn't know that video was being taken. And it was the thing that did him in his son's video to a friend that never got sent because the cell phone reception was bad that lived on his phone until police got into that phone is really what changed it for this jury. And of course, the jury went on all of the morning shows. So we got to hear that that was important to them. We've only got just over 10 minutes left with Emily viewers. So please, if you've got any questions about the murder murders or anything else Emily has covered, put them in the chat. It's wild, um, isn't it? It's so, it's just so much. And I don't think we're at the end of it. I wonder now that he's in jail, his influence has been thoroughly raised. Now are we going to see more? Are we going to see more people coming forward? Because now he doesn't quite have the influence and he's in prison for the rest of his life. And if any appeals come up on the murders, he's going to be in custody the rest of his life on all the financial crimes, So, which he admitted to when he testified for the large part. So are we going to start to see those that were afraid of this family start to come forward because the person they were most afraid of is now in prison? Did he have enough powerful enemies to motivate him being framed for this? I wonder that as well, because there is a lot of insinuation about how much um, narcotics were being moved. His home has a landing strip and an airplane hangar. Was he involved in drug trade? And were those that he prosecuted um, angry at him? I think there are people that have motive, but we saw none of it. And there were allusions to the fact that his son had people that were after the son, but we saw not even a Reddit post that they could pull up and say, look, this is what people were saying they were going to do to his son, Paul, not a Instagram thread. You know how when people are being threatened on the internet, you see the evidence of that. We saw none of it in this trial. And if it existed, I'm sure we would have. So I don't know if Paul was being as threatened as they say. I wonder if it was more people saying mean things to him in public or, or making dirty looks or making snide comments and not actual threats. So Ray J's got a question for you. Emily, did you suspect a guilty verdict from early on? No, I did not. Um, in all of my coverage of this case, I suspected a hung, a hung verdict. I expected a hung jury based on power and based on the fact that this is a highly circumstantial case. That's what I thought. Fred wants to know, how esteemed was his heritage? Who is he politically linked to? I don't know who he's politically linked to because I hadn't looked. His defense attorney is a state senator who seems to be very close with Biden. I didn't look into Murdoch's um, connections. He seems connected to everyone from law enforcement to state legislature. So he is he is connected, but I don't know directly to who. His, his, his heritage in the area was feared and respected. I was wondering what the forensics portrayed, and here's a comment. He still would have had blood evidence. You can't hide that. He would have had, had transferred some microscopic blood evidence. I would think so, too. There was some blood in his vehicle that he drove up to the kennels that night. 
but he said he was checking on his wife and son and checking their pulse. These were very bloody crime scenes, and he had not a speck on him when police showed up. He was very, very clean. And what time had elapsed between the murders and the, the time the cops showed up? If you believe the prosecutor's timeline, about an hour and 45 minutes. In your estimation, is that sufficient to clean yourself up? Well, he left and went to his mother's house. So from the time he was at the kennels that we know to the time he left his mother his mother's house, which we know from the OnStar data from his car, because everything electronic can track you unless you turn it off, but he got in his car and drove away. I There was only about 20 minutes. However, there is a skinning room up at the kennels and there's hoses and a lot of other stuff. But where the guns went, because these were family guns that were used, according to the prosecution, they're missing. The only two guns that are missing are the two guns that are involved in this murder and where the clothes went. And those clothes were proven to be missing as well. It's very interesting. So I don't know. So there's the possibility that he brought in hitmen or there's a possibility that it was an armed robbery. Or there's a possibility, yeah, or there's a possibility that he did it, which is what he's been convicted for. But there, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a reasonable possibility that people got onto that property without him knowing, based on the way the property was laid out, that people were up at the kennels and he would not have seen headlights and known um, at that time of night. I think he would have been aware that there were people up at the kennels with his wife and son. His behavior afterwards looks like somebody trying to manufacture an alibi and whether that was because he had help um or whether it's because he did it himself i don't know ash wants to know is the grandfather likely to face any charges the grandfather is deceased he died three days after the murders so no oh. seagull guitarist was it ever concluded whether his alleged drug intake would have been lethal or not wasn't he spending absurd amounts of money and eating them like skittles he was saying that he was um but nobody ever looked into it i think the prosecution thought a lot of the uh addiction stuff was bs and i don't agree with them on that i don't think they paid nearly enough attention to what he was saying about his pill addiction um ad addiction especially to pharmaceuticals runs kind of rampant among the legal profession unfortunately but the amount of money he was spending does not connect with personal use. Are you surprised that Buster Murdoch is still alive? If this was a targeted hit, I'm surprised that both Buster and Alec are still alive. If you believe that Alec killed them and you believe the family annihilator theory, Buster is the one that was going to carry on the legacy and go to law school and Paul was the one causing him problems. So no, I'm not terribly surprised. When you listen to the jail calls, Buster seems to do a lot of what his dad asks him to. So I wonder if Buster was his ally. He didn't call and ask Buster to come to the home that night. He called and asked Maggie to come to the home that night. There's a comment from Edward. Let's see if we can get a comment on this. The motive, in my view, is the problems with the son, Paul, and possibly marital problems upcoming with the wife. Not money, that's a side issue. I don't disagree. And the prosecution straddled the line on that too much for me. They wanted it to be... They wanted the motive to be financial so they could bring it in in front of the jury. I think his addiction and the problems with Paul with the boat crash were a much bigger problem for Alex's ego, but they didn't go that direction with it. And I think it's because they wanted the evidence to come in of all the financial crimes. All right, just five minutes left. If you've got any disagree. further questions, five minutes left. If you've got any further questions for Emily. So what was the evidence that actually the jury looked at that convicted him? 
his own testimony and the video of with his voice on it of him being up at the kennels during the period of time he said he was not there those are the two what, biggest items what what did he say when he was on the stand that convicted him he said a lot of things on the stand but they didn't believe his emotion he had he had a lot of a lot of snot blowing out of his face but not much genuine emotion um you could feel it from his brother who testified from his sister-in-law that testified but for him his testimony didn't come across as believable and he said he lied to the police about being at the kennels because he was afraid of the police but then he's rolling around with a badge and a gun in his car and police light bars inst installed into his personal vehicle the i'm afraid of the police doesn't make any sense at all he might not like the state law enforcement agency because he's not as friendly with them as others but there was evidence in this trial that he was bringing in envelopes of cash while he was talking to other law enforcement officers at the law firm so there's a lot more to this case and i think the thing that bothers me the most about the murdoch case is there are things that i know we absolutely don't know and there are some big holes in this case and i wonder if those holes are filled in with other types of corruption and payoffs and i there's more to it i don't think we're at the bottom of knowing everything about this case so has he shown traits of psychopathy or narcissism i tend to not lean into diagnosing people the because i just don't know enough about it and as a da i never tried to put people into personality um characterizations I have seen that a lot feel that way. The thing that was most stunning to me because I have the most personal experience with it is I think he's very much ADHD and completely undiagnosed. And it was interesting when they were talking about him and his son, I was like, y'all don't just diagnose, what, what is going on? These are all ADHD behaviors. Um, are a lot of litigators like this also lean narcissistic? I think so. And we definitely heard about it, it being his way or the highway. I don't know how much um he would fall onto that spectrum just because i'm not well enough familiar with it but the adhd behaviors were loud and clear to me and with that someone self-medicating also makes sense to me especially in the legal field and was he showing much sorrow over what had happened i didn't think it was genuine I thought he, he was seemed he seemed to feel very sorry for himself okay copper wants to know where the money is I want to know where the money is too. There's a lot of money missing. I I suspect it's offshore. Seagull, do you think if he hadn't lied so much to the police about this case, he would still have been found guilty? I think if he hadn't lied to police in this case, he wouldn't have ever been charged. Have the parents of the girl who died from the boat accident spoken out about the verdict? There was a statement released through their lawyer talking about justice being done and hoping to get justice for Mallory Beach, um, but not much else. Right, we've almost run out of time, Emily. This is a good one to finish on then. What big cases are coming up that Emily fancies covering? <laughs> we've got a we've got a busy few months coming up. Right now, I am touching in and out of the Gwyneth Paltrow case. I'll be covering her testimony when she testifies in this ski collision. Then we have a preliminary hearing coming up for Alec Baldwin in the Rust case. I'm interested. They said it's gonna be a two week preliminary hearing. That's gonna feel like a mini trial without a jury. So that'll be very interesting to get all the evidence in about the FBI testing of the gun in the Rust case. After that, there will be a six, five or six day preliminary hearing in the Idaho College murders case that I'll be covering. And in between all of that, I am covering 
um, a group of YouTubers that just got sued for for shilling FTX, and <laughs> and then that. and then one of those YouTubers, a bunch of court documents came out a day or two ago that I covered on Tuesday. So those would have been Monday documents that BitBoy Crypto's threatening the lawyers involved in the case. It's it's banana stuff. You you know I love covering a YouTuber, and then of course um, Girardi from Real Housewives is not going away. So. There's lots. And then if the Vanderpump Rules stuff keeps popping off, I'll be covering that too. Pop culture and law and influencers shilling crypto. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching Coffeezilla on these crypto uh, videos. I think they're great what he's doing. It is. And with Alec Baldwin, then, what, what's the max he's facing? Oh, 18 months. He's not facing a ton of time. This is a very difficult case for the prosecution. It's a concept of law that you actually don't have in the UK. It is um, this odd area of criminal negligence where it's an accident, but you should have known it could happen. So it is a very strange little area of law where these accidents that are an accident are charged criminally and who could have prevented this from happening, who should have prevented this from happening. It makes it difficult. Juries don't like this type of case because they're like, God, they're before the grace of God, right? If somebody at work does something wrong and then I end up getting um, getting on the hook for it, it can be a real problem. So that's how I ended up on Good Day Br or, or Good Morning Britain talking about the Rust case. They were like, wait, what is this? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know either. It's, it's a quirk of law. Are you going to take a look at Logan Paul and his crypto zoo scam? If there's, if there's, lawsuits i covered the attorney tom lawsuit that's been filed attorney tom on youtube has filed against logan paul on behalf of a class of plaintiffs and i covered that a little bit and i'll get back to covering it a little bit if only because it is one of the few youtubers my kids know because even my son in elementary school is like mom all the kids bring prime to school for lunch i'm like who's giving elementary school students energy drinks stop it but all the sixth graders think that prime is the coolest thing in the world so here we go oh my goodness it's like charles atlas advertising they it? sell it at my son's high school prime is in his high school for sale it is such a wild thing to see how that product has just completely taken off it's it's bananas sugar and chemical water <laughs> <laughs> all right we um please let the viewers know where they can find you support you follow you subscribe to you emily Absolutely. I'm at the Emily D. Baker all across the internet. So I am most active on YouTube. It's where I stream trials. My podcast is called The Emily Show. I have a second channel called Quick Bits. If you do not have the intense time <laughs> to spend an hour plus with me, my Quick Bits channel, which is just Quick Bits um, with Emily D. Baker, is, you know, 15 minute or less. And then a lot of my reels just breaking down immediately what happened on things. So those are all the places to find me. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on. We salute your work. Cheers, Emily. Take care. Have a great bye. one. Bye, chat. <laughs> bye, bye.